0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. I'm excited to share some time with you today. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life, and it is my privilege to guide us for the next 35 or 40 minutes as we continue to engage with God. And if it's your first time here, I want to say an extra special welcome to you. I want you to know something that we believe to our core, and you may or may not believe this yet. But my hope and my prayer is that the more you engage with us, the more you'll find this to be true. We believe that there is a God, and God's not some distant deity out there, but God is personal and engaged and wants to partner with you in this life now. And God is perfect and powerful and loving— He's kind of like this perfect heavenly father who's just chasing after his kids, wanting to engage with us. And the more you're here, the more I hope you find that to be true. And because we believe that God wants to engage with you, I just want to invite you, make yourself at home. Kick off your shoes, grab a cup of coffee, whatever you need to do to get comfortable, because I believe God wants to actually speak to you today in this time as we're together. And if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I would love to meet you. I'd love to hear your story, what brought you to New Life. Uh, out at Guest Central, I'm going to make my way over there after service is over. If you just hang out there, I'd love to chat. And we also have a gift for you out there inside these bags. So go ahead and and grab one of these on your way out, just our way of saying, hey, thanks for joining us today. Because we believe that we are all on a journey together, that there is no in and out but really when you're here your family and we're we're wanting to engage with God we want to make sure everybody's on the same page to start that journey out and so each week we give you a program and inside are a few things to get us all on the same page the first is this start here card that you're going to want to grab go ahead and just pull it out put your name on it and if you're new your email address And all this is, is a connection card. It helps you stay connected to us and the things we're doing in the city and around the world. It helps us stay connected to you. And when you want to take some next steps in your journey, this is just a tool that we can use to help you take those next steps. So go ahead and get that ready. The other thing you're going to want to grab are your teaching notes. They've got the story that we're looking at today that Jesus told. They've got some fill-in-the-blanks. They've got some space on the back just to write down ideas, thoughts, questions, things that come up. Because our hope is that this is the beginning of a dialogue that you would have this week with your spouse, your friends, your roommates, as we continue to engage with God. So go ahead and get all that ready. And uh, if you've been around for a while, you'll notice I'm I'm moving well again. But for a while, I was in pretty rough shape. I herniated a disc in my back the week after Easter. I was digging a hole for my kids at the beach. Dad life, you know, I was digging my hole and I came up, heard a pop, felt the pain, and it was really bad. Welcome to your mid-30s. And uh, I just decided I'm going to try to get healthy. You know, I want to I eat healthy. I'm exercising five days a week, trying to strengthen my core, and my back, so this doesn't happen anymore, because it was horrible. And, and I've even actually started taking vitamins recently. In fact, it, yeah, it's awesome. I've got one of those little packs that says Sunday to Sunday, you know, and I, I flip them in every week, and then I pour it out. It's, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. And this morning I got up and my wife, that was my wife Maria on keys. And so we were doing worship and we have a six-year-old and a four-year-old. And so we all needed to be here about 10 minutes after seven. And you know those mornings if you've got family or if you are that person, it's hard to get here on time. So we're racing, getting everything done. I I made myself breakfast. I ate about half an egg, wasn't really that hungry. And then I slammed a handful of vitamins and took them down with a, a nice big drink of coffee. And yeah, yeah. And we're, and we're getting ready, and I'm brushing the kid's teeth, and my stomach's just starting to feel a little bit upset. And I get everybody ready, and they're all walking to the door. And as they walk to the door, I veer right and head into the bathroom. Oh, I forgot to mention, when I was feeling upset, I thought, this is what I'll do. I'll drink a big glass of milk, because that will help coat my stomach. So chug the big glass of milk, go on getting ready, turn to the bathroom, and just vomit. Just It's all out, like water, lots of coffee, a little bit of egg, and my vitamins just right back out. And my little guy, Landon, who's four, he comes running in, and uh, about a month ago, he ate the little plastic uh, fresh piece that's in the vitamin, the thing that keeps them all fresh. He ate that plastic thing, and we told him, buddy, don't do that. That'll make you sick. So he runs in. I'm vomiting, and he's yelling, daddy, daddy, did you eat the plastic thing? Did you eat the plastic thing? True story. True story. You can't make this stuff up. And while I'm throwing up, I had a thought cross my mind, and this is the thought that crosses my mind every time I throw up. I thought back to my college roommate who said to me one time when I had the flu, he said, Kevin, there will be no vomiting in heaven. I was like, hey, that is, that's good. That's a good thing. That makes me look forward to heaven every time I throw up. Interesting that i That I had that experience today because what we're talking about today is this question. What happens to us five minutes after we die? When we close our eyes for the last time here and open them for the first time there, wherever there is, Uh, when we when we take our last breath and we we cross over from this life into the next, what happens to us on that day? Because no one knows when the end of the world will come, but we all know that our end is coming at some point. For me, in the next 50 to 70 years, my end will come. And I know I, I've got that question. Well, what happens then? Is it going to be like a bright light? Is it is it going to be quiet and serene? If you're an introvert, that's what you're hoping for, you know? Is it going to be a big party with lots of noise and music? If you're an extrovert, you're thinking, yeah. Or a new lifer who likes the loud music? Is it going to be hot? Is it going to be cold? What's it going to be like on that day? Will we see people we know when we take our last breath here and transition to there? Will we like the people we see? How about this? Will we be sad about the people who we thought we'd see who we don't? How about those questions that we swore we'd ask Like, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God. Will we ask those questions, or will we be so overcome by what we're experiencing that those questions will fade to the back of our consciousness and we won't ever even think about them again? Have you ever asked that question? What happens on that day? What happens on that day? Usually these questions come up when we lose a loved one. Uh, These questions come up when the doctor calls and the test results came back positive, which has a high likelihood that it's going to be negative. These are when these types of questions come up, and they leave us searching for answers. Sometimes those answers draw us closer to God. For some people, they draw us away from God. But they all have one thing in common. What about that day? And we're in a series right now that we're calling Decoded, where we're looking at some of Jesus' most powerful teachings. And these are teachings that he tells in the form of fictional stories that the Bible calls parables. And parables are stories that have a main thrust or a main meaning. They're trying to teach us something about God or about ourselves or about what it looks like to live in this world in light of God's movement in the world around us. And one of Jesus' best friends said this about Jesus' parables in a biography on Jesus' life called the book of Matthew. Matthew says this. It says, Jesus spoke all these things to crowds of people in parables— He did not say anything to them without using a parable. And when he did that, it was fulfilled what the prophet spoke about him, that I will open my mouth in parables and I will utter things that have been hidden since the creation of the world. And that's a big statement. That when Jesus tells these parables, when he tells these stories, what he's doing is he's trying to help us decode or uncover some sort of mystery, some sort of secret that's been hidden since the creation of the world. Of the worlds. And he invites the listener of his parables to think deeply, to zoom out, to ask big questions, and then to uncover or decode these, these mysteries. And maybe there's no greater mystery than this question what happens to me five minutes after I die? And Jesus used a parable to talk about that very topic. And so here's our two questions that we're trying to answer today What, if anything, happens to us five minutes after we die? And then there's an underlying question that we should all be asking, which is this. Does what happens on that day have any impact on how I live on this day? And since I don't have a whole lot of firsthand experience in dying, I'll just tell you what Jesus says about it. Not a lot of personal stories today. I apologize. But Jesus actually does have firsthand experience. In fact, we just celebrated in communion that Jesus was nailed to a cross— and that he gave his life. He died to pay the penalty for our sins. And when I say sins, I'm talking about the things that we dwell on in our minds, that we say and that we do that, that are hurting us, that are hurting the people we love the most, and that are separating us from God. And these sins... There's something inside of us that compels us to keep doing these over and over and over again and Jesus died on the cross to not only forgive us of our sins but also to replace that sin nature inside of us with God's spirit so that we can live the life we were created to live. And Jesus died And then he rose again, and he has firsthand experience about what happens on that day. And in Luke 16, Jesus tells one of his most famous parables to describe to us what happens five minutes after we die. And I actually preached a very similar sermon to this about two years ago on this topic, but I thought when we came back to parables, we need to talk about this because this is possibly the most perplexing question that any of us faces. And it doesn't matter what we think about it because we haven't actually been there, but if we can discover what Jesus says about it, it could change our lives. And here's the thing about this parable. This parable is unique of all of Jesus's other parables because in this parable, Jesus names one of his characters. We meet a guy named Lazarus, which has led some people to believe that there really was a Lazarus And there really was a rich man who we're going to hear about. And that Jesus used them to tell a story to help us understand what it looks like in that transition time. So we have these two men. We have this rich man. And in the ancient world, if you were rich, everyone thought that you had a special connection to God, that God favored you uniquely. That's why you rose above everyone else in wealth. And if you were poor, and Lazarus is very poor, if you were poor, it's because God either forgot about you or despised you. And I wonder, have you ever had a moment in your life where you felt like God had forgotten about you, where you were sitting by yourself? You felt like your prayers were hitting the wall and bouncing back down. If that's you, then I want you to hear this story because in this story, the man who everyone thought was forgotten about God actually was not. God saw him and knew him and loved him and had a plan for him. So let's pick up the story In Luke chapter 16, verse 19, where Jesus says this in his parable There was a rich man, and he was dressed in purple, the color of royalty, the color of money, and fine linen, and he lived in luxury every day of his life. And at the gate of his property, there laid a beggar, a man named Lazarus, and Lazarus was in bad shape. He was covered in sores with flies and the whole thing coming around him. And he longed to eat just a little bit of what fell from the rich man's table. And then we get a little hint here. Lazarus is very sick. He's so weak that dogs were coming, and they were licking the open wounds of his sores, and he didn't even have the power to clear them away. That's how bad he is. They need to call in hospice. I mean, he's at the end of his life. Verse 22, and the time came when this beggar died, and angels came, and they carried him to Abraham's side. And Abraham was the father of the Jewish faith. Everything kind of started from Abraham and his wife. And so when people thought, well, who's going to be in heaven someday? Clearly they thought Abraham would be in heaven. And that reference to Abraham's side takes you back to an ancient feast in Jesus' day. And in the ancient feasts, everyone would recline at the table. And after the meal, they would just lean their head on the side of the person next to him. And so it's a picture of of Lazarus, this poor man being taken to Abraham's side. And everyone assumes this is heaven where he's laying with his head on the side of the leader of the Jewish faith. So he ends up in heaven, and the rich man also died and was buried. I walked off stage last service, and I said to my wife, boy, I feel like that message was kind of was flat. Everybody was quiet. She said, Kevin, you're talking about death. Like, what do you think? I think we're gonna all be laughing, having a good time? Here's what she was telling me, and it's really true. We don't like to think about this. Let's just, let's just be honest and say it. We don't like to think about death. Advertisers spend millions of dollars a year telling us we can cheat death, we can escape death, we can prolong our life, and we can look good doing it. And as Americans, we spend tens of thousands of dollars in the last handful of years of our lives trying to give us a few extra weeks or months or years. Very few of us really like to look at the topic of death and especially the topic of our own mortality. But last time I checked, the death rate still hovers right around 100%. (laughs) In fact, three people die every second around the world. So while this might not be a topic that we love to think about, it is absolutely an important topic for us to explore today. And this story gives us three insights into what happens to us immediately after death in those first five minutes. And the first is this— We will be wide awake five minutes after we die. We're about to see that in this story, both of these men are conscious after they die. And in fact, we see this in other places in the Bible. In the book of Luke, one of the biographies of Jesus's life, it says that when Jesus was dying on the cross, he had two men hanging next to him. And he said to one of them, on this day, today, you will be with me in paradise. Not someday, not in the distant future, but today, when you cross over from this world to that, you will be with me in paradise. There's a sense in which when we cross over, we are conscious of what's happening and where we are. The second thing that we see is this. We will be filled with either tremendous gratitude or enormous regret five minutes after we die. Verse 23 goes on to say, In Hades, where he was in torment. In Hades is a reference to hell. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in some cool water to cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, Son, Remember that in your lifetime you received all sorts of good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony there. And besides all that between us and you is a great chasm in place so that those who want to go from there to here cannot, and those who want to go from here to you cannot go either. And he uses this word Hades, and it's one of a number of words that's used in the New Testament of the Bible to describe hell, where there's torment, and it's described with fire. And you might be here today. You might be back and forth about whether or not you believe in Jesus, you want to give your life to him. And I want to say this, I am so glad you're here. We created new life for you for everyone to come in asking honest questions, seeking truth, because I believe when you seek truth, that truth will lead you uniquely to Jesus. And I'm so glad you're here. You have time to make up your mind about Jesus today. You might, you might like the teachings. You might like the people. They seem loving and fun. You may love the music. That's all great stuff. We created this space for you to ask questions and to decide about Jesus but there will become a time, five minutes after you die, that whatever decision you've made in this world will be cemented into eternity. Because here's the thing about God. God's a gentleman, and God does not force himself on us. And if we walk with God in this life, God allows us to walk with him into eternity. But if we choose in this life to reject God and to walk away from God, then God allows us to walk separately into eternity. Not because God wants it. In fact, Jesus said that God loves us so much that Jesus came and gave his life for us so that no one, so that no one would have to taste eternal separation from God, but that everyone would be able to have eternal life with him. He went on to say that God did not send his son into the world to condemn us, but to save us because he loves us. And we have time now to make up our minds, but there will become a time. And none of us knows when that time is, where the decision we make now will be cemented into eternity. I I did college ministry for almost six years at Sonoma State. I worked with a ministry called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. I loved it. I loved it. And we did these things called groups investigating God. They were these Bible studies uh, where I would lead with a group of people who were just checking out the claims of Jesus. And there's one man who I'll never forget. His name, his name was Andrew. Andrew was raised in a Jewish household, but not practicing And he was roommates with a number of guys who were in a Bible study that I led. And so we got together, we started talking about the claims of Jesus and how his Jewish roots kind of took Jesus uh, into the New Testament and how Jesus was very much Jewish and also the continuation of the promise that God made in the Old Testament. And I remember asking him before Christmas break one year, I said, are you ready To commit your life to God, to say yes to God. You've experienced these things. You're asking the right questions. God is clearly responding to you. Are you ready? He said, you know what? I'm just not—I'm not ready yet. I need to go home. I need to think about it. I need to talk to my family. And so we we parted ways, and it was a six-week break. And on the way back up, I got a call one day that as he was driving back up Interstate 5 from Southern California, he lost control of his car. He went into the ditch, and he died young college student, a guy with his whole life ahead of him, who never thought his day would be that day when he kissed his mom and dad and said goodbye. And I sat at his funeral and I wept because I don't know the decision he made that got cemented into eternity. And friends, if you wonder why, I give us an opportunity each week to pray and to give our lives to God is because none of us knows what tomorrow will bring. And I want to give us every opportunity to cement our eternity with God because it not only changes our eternity, but it shapes our lives today. And for those of us who respond to God's great love, five minutes after we die, we will be filled with tremendous gratitude for how great our God is towards us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul says something about what it looks like on that day that is just awe-inspiring to me. He says this, there are things that no eye has seen, that no ear has heard, that no human mind has even conceived of in all of our intelligence. It's the things that God has prepared for those who love him on that day that we're going to get to that day, and there are going to be things that our eyes have never even dreamed of, that our ears have never never even thought we could hear, that our minds couldn't even conceive of, that God has prepared for us on that day, and we're going to wake up five minutes after we die and be filled with such gratitude because of God's goodness that it will shape our lives forever. And when we get glimpses of it, we get glimpses of those things when we, we sit on our honeymoon and see that last perfect sunset before we come back to the real world. We get glimpses of those things when we give birth to our first child after they clean them off because it's gross before that. But, and they're so cute. I'm just, I'm just preaching, telling the truth. I'm a truth seeker. It's gross. We get glimpses of it when we hear the most beautiful symphony ever played. But when we get to that day, it will be like nothing we could ever imagine. And we will be filled with tremendous gratitude if we have said yes to God in this life and walked with him, we'll walk with him into eternity. Here's a few things that you can just look forward to in heaven. The Bible says that in heaven, we're going to have bodies. That Jesus, when he died and rose again, he had a body, a physical body, but it was like a transformed body He could, he could transport himself to different places. He could walk through walls. It was, it was like, for those of you who wanted to be superheroes as kids, he had like a superhero body. It was amazing. It's the perfect body. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like or what the perfect body even is. But I know that we're promised that if you ever want to have a perfect body but don't like exercising, you're going to be in luck. (laughs) So we have bodies in heaven, like physical bodies. It will, we will actually recognize people in heaven. When Jesus died and rose again, his disciples, his followers, his friends, they recognized him. Not at first because his body was different, but they, but they recognized him as they walked with him. So we'll actually recognize each other in heaven. Think about that when you wake up. Those people who you've lost years ago, to recognize them and see them. We're told that heaven will be more beautiful than anything we can imagine. It's described in terms of beautiful stones and gems because that's the best thing that we can imagine in our minds. But heaven is more beautiful than anything we can imagine. Think sunset. Think mountains. If you're one of those people who likes big cities, think San Francisco. That's fine. For me, that's more the opposite direction. But that's cool. Some people love that. But it's going to be more beautiful than anything. And we're going to wake up with so much gratitude at God's creativity and his goodness and his love. And we're going to ask this, God, how could you be so good to me? We don't need to fear death if we walk with God in life. Because we'll close our eyes and we'll wake up in something that is so extraordinarily beautiful and different that the gratitude will be almost overwhelming. And if you're here today, and you've never joined your life to God's, as I continue to share, would you just continue to ask God to reveal himself to you? Because I want to give you a chance to do that a little bit later on this morning. Because again, it not only shapes our eternity, but it shapes our lives here in powerful ways. The third thing that we see from this parable is this, that five minutes after we die, we will reflect on our lives with crystal clarity. In verse 27, the rich man answers. He says, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family because I have five brothers who are still living. Let him warn them so that they would not also come to this place of torment. I beg you, warn my family who's still living so that they would not end up here. Five minutes after he died, this rich man had complete clarity on the things that mattered most. And it wasn't his job, and it wasn't his house with the big gates around it, and it wasn't how much money he made, or where he went to school, or where his kids go to school, or what kind of sports they play, or how good they are. None of that, as as good as it is, it's all fine stuff, but none of it mattered on that day. Five minutes after he died, the rich man simply wanted to warn his family to live their lives with and for God, because he knew that a life intimately connected with God was the only life worth living, and he spent his eternity with regret. But here's the great news. None of us has to live with that kind of regret, I said when I first came on stage that God loves you. Like a a father who's running through the streets, calling to his children, saying, come home, come home. You don't have to beg anymore. I've got a house prepared for you. That God is all loving, all good, all powerful, that he always is watching out for his kids. And you and I do not have to live with the kind of regret that this rich man had. I don't know about you, but every regret that I have in my life, that I caused in my life, comes from times when I simply was choosing to live a different way than the way God designed for me to live. And it led to regret. And all of the best times in my life come because I chose to live the way God designed for me to live, that he revealed in the Bible the way that he would have me live. And when I followed him in that journey— I was able to live free from self-inflicted wounds. And I would guess it's the same for you. And we don't have to live with regret. We can live in the freedom that God offers to us by deciding today that we're going to follow God with every part of our lives. When God says go, we hit the gas. When God says stop, we hit the brakes. When he says jump, we say how high. When he says love, we say who. When he says serve, we say show me where to go. That's a life of of purpose. It's an eternity-shaping life, and it's the best life we could live here. And as we close, I just want to give us three ways to live without regret. And the first two are linked. The first one is this. If you've never committed your life to God, if you've always lived by yourself, for yourself, without any sort of insight or leadership of your perfect, loving, heavenly Father, then I want to invite you today to turn your life over to God. To say, God, I'm done living by myself and for myself. I want to live with you and for you. And I'm going to give you a chance to do that, where you would just pray to God and say, God, I believe you love me. I believe you gave your life to pay the penalty for my sin. And that you give me your spirit so I can live with you in this life. And I believe you've made a place for me in eternity. And God answers that prayer every time. And God loves to do it. The other one is this. Maybe you were raised like me. Uh, I was raised going to church. I was raised in the church. We were Baptists for a while. We were Nazarenes for a while. We were Presbyterians for a while, which meant sometimes, you know, I couldn't dance. Sometimes I couldn't drink and sometimes I couldn't wear a wedding ring, you know, which was okay because I was 10. (laughs) And maybe you were like me. I got kicked out of pretty much every single children's ministry and every single church I went to. That's why they don't put me back there. They put me up here now. (laughs) But somewhere along the way, church became a thing, but God was still way over there. For me, when I was 17, I had a faith awakening where I recommitted my life to God. I said, God, I'm done just playing church. It's not worth it. It Just feels like a lot of rules. I want to live in relationship with you. I want to commit my life to you. And I had this faith awakening where I recommitted my life to God. Maybe you're in that space today. And I would just say, when we pray, join with me in praying and recommitting yourself to God today you don't have to live with the regret of living distant from your heavenly father because he wants to live in partnership with you. In fact, we're told that when we draw near to God, God will draw near to us. It's a promise that we can take to the bank. And the third is this, and I'm going to really dig into this next week and in our continuation of our series, but God is incredibly resourced. God has abundant resources, more than we can imagine. And here's the crazy thing about God. God invests some of his resource into each of us. He gives us certain passions and gifts and talents. And then he invites us to use those passions and gifts and talents to help other people encounter him through all sorts of various mediums. And if you're not investing some of that talent back into things that are helping people draw close to God, I want to tell you those are the things that last into eternity. And I want to give you a chance to do that. I was just talking to a gal this weekend. Uh, she's new ish to the church, and it was one of those hot days, you know, like 95. Talk about some crazy weather in Petaluma. 95 one day, 70 and drizzly the next. This is crazy. That's neither here nor there. Small filter. She's outside. She's dirty. She's sweating. She's pulling weeds. She's cleaning stuff up. I said, Hey, what are you doing? She's like, Well,. When I look at the church, I realize this is the place where people come to encounter God. This is like God's house. And when people come here to the church for the first time, I want them to see that we take care of this place where they want to encounter God. And so I just took it upon myself to start pulling some weeds and cleaning some stuff out. I didn't need a formal invitation. I just felt like I wanted to do it. And here's the thing. She was doing landscaping duty. She was pulling weeds. She was trimming but not like a lot of us do it at home where it's a necessary evil so it doesn't get overgrown. She was doing it with an eternal perspective that I can do this seemingly um, benign task of pulling weeds. And when I do it with a perspective of honoring God and blessing people, it has an eternal consequence. And I can tell you because of that, you walked in today and subconsciously you thought, oh, this place is looking pretty good because she invested herself and her skills, and her passions, and her abilities, and something that makes an eternal impact. And boy, I want that for each of us. So next week, I'm going to talk about how to figure out what it looks like. How did God gift us? What kind of passions, what kind of abilities did He give us? And then how can we unleash those for the sake of helping our community encounter God? And we're going to talk about that. But even before we do, I just want to, I want to invite you to be thinking about ways that you could invest yourself for the impact and the good of other people, and the impact and good of what God's doing in our community. Those are three ways that we can live without regrets as we continue this journey together. Well, I want to pray right now, and if you're here today, and you've never committed your life to God, or maybe you were raised going to church, but you've never actually partnered with God in a very personal way, I want to give you a chance to do that right now. So would you join me? Let's, let's close our eyes and let's pray together. And if you're here and you're ready to cement your life with God's, to commit to him and to walk with him in this life and into eternity. You can repeat a simple prayer of commitment after me. Just whisper these words where you're sitting or say them in your mind because God knows as you pray silently and God will answer. You can say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you gave your life to pay the penalty for my sin. And I want to have a relationship with you. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you guide me each day as I walk from this day forward, even as I walk into eternity? I pray in Jesus' name, amen.